Hello, friends. Have you noticed that you can get caught up in consuming content? Or maybe you notice you are hyper, hyper focused on the doing. Empaths, we often consume. And I know because that was me too, soaking up information from all my favorite teachers and mentors. But it wasn't until I started focusing more on the being and embodiment work that the door to massive clarity was finally unlocked. And I no longer got confused about what was my energy versus everybody else's. I was able to become a more clear channel for creation and as a result, transform my life, business, and health. In fact, my meditation and embodiment practice is what helped me have a nearly $40,000 month this past January, see the highest downloaded month of the podcast, and finally release a lot of unnecessary stress. And my clients felt it and saw it in their lives too. It wasn't reading more articles. It wasn't doing more busy work. So I'm inviting you to graduate from the spongy empath consumer into the self-activated sovereign healer. You can take your podcast listening experience from, ooh, I feel seen, heard, and inspired to, holy shit, I actually feel different. My being has shifted. I am the embodiment of the woman I desire to be. The Third Eye Collective is a simple way to upgrade your experience and commit not only to a meditation practice that complements your healing, but also receive personalized coaching so you can be clear on what direct actions to implement into your highest goals. There are two simple ways to get involved at $11 or $22 a month with no commitment. So if this is calling your name, click the link in the show notes to join this amazing and growing community. Welcome to the Uncensored Empath, a place for us to discuss highly sensitive energy, illness, healing, and transformation. My name is Sarah Small, and I'm a life and success coach for empaths who want to create a thriving body, business, and life. Think of this podcast as your no BS guide to navigating life, health, and entrepreneurship. You'll get straight to the point, totally holistic tips from me in real time as I navigate this healing and growth journey right beside you. This is a Soul Fire production. Welcome back to another episode. Y'all, I am really excited about today's guest. Amy Cher is here with me, and she's been on the show before, and I just truly love her writing, her work, all the energy healing that she has to offer the world. And this is such an important topic around healing depression today. My guess is that we all know somebody or have personally experienced depression, and as you guys have heard in my journey, it's something that has deeply affected my life and the loss of my brothers as well. So Amy is an award-winning and best-selling author of the How to Heal Yourself from Depression When No One Else Can book, as well as three other books in this series that I all personally own and have read. She was also named one of Advocates 40 Under 40 and is an expert in mind-body healing. She helps people release emotional baggage to become their happiest, healthy 
healthiest selves. So we're going to be diving into a conversation around depression today. And and you'll hear Amy define this more specifically as depression of the self and all the different ways this can show up in our life and really truly how to look at navigating healing depression from a whole self perspective. So this may be an episode that deeply resonates with you or that you may want to pass along and share with a friend today. All that being said, Amy is here and we are ready to dive in. Amy, welcome back to the show. I'm super excited to have you on today. Thank you so much. So you have been on the show before, but today we're here to talk about your new book, How to Heal Yourself from Depression When No One Else Can. And I'm super curious, what inspired this topic in this book? Yeah, so this is actually the third, and I think, dare I say, final book in the How to Heal Yourself um, series. And what inspired this book was I always wanted to do three books. The first one is about sort of healing from some people call chronic illness or ongoing um, Yep. emotional or physical challenges. The second one is anxiety. And the third one I planned even before um, the pandemic, which is how to heal yourself from depression, because I feel like depression is a topic that everyone can understand. And my own perspective of depression is that it happens on a spectrum, that mm-hmm. depression isn't just not being able to get out of bed. It's often, and we're not talking about clinical depression, but just the the energy of depression and the, the term depression, which we use so casually, um, which is, you know, I'm depressed I didn't get the job, or I'm depressed mm-hmm. that this guy canceled, or I feel depressed, I don't know what's wrong. I feel like it is really something that everybody can relate to. Some of us just go through periods of time where we feel kind of blah or blue or yeah lost. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to cover this topic. It, it obviously is even more relevant than it was two years ago. When I planned it, but I really wanted to cover this topic because I feel like it is something everybody has experienced, or most everybody has experienced in some capacity. And I felt like, in some ways, it was going to be my most helpful book because of that, because it's for just sort of everyday people who might be feeling like they're heavy or mm-hmm. exhausted and not know what it's from, and and maybe relate to, hey, wait, maybe I do, you know, have some of these signs of. And again, we're not really talking about clinical depression, although my book, you know, will be beneficial for those people too. But hey, maybe I do have some of this that I could work on. Yeah. Well, I love you mentioned the book, this question, I think we've all asked ourselves, like, am I just tired? Am I unmotivated? Am I depressed? And seeing depression as a spectrum and being able to potentially even fall different areas, different spots within that spectrum at different points in our life. So I'm curious if you can expand a little bit more on depression as a, as a spectrum and also just what we've seen over the last year, especially we were just talking about this before I hit record the year of 2020. And I have observed even just within the people I know increased rates of feeling depressed, but I've also seen some statistics on that as well. Right. Absolutely. And it's, it's really interesting. Like in the last years, even before, you know, the pandemic and before 2020, Mm -hmm. I mean, our awareness of depression is getting better better. More people are talking about mental health. More people are aware of the signs and symptoms of depression, anxiety, those types of things. But the problem is getting worse. So there's some mismatch in how we are dealing with depression, which I typically see in all area, 
areas of medicine, but it's not always a holistic approach. So we're not always kind of hitting on the things that need to be addressed in order to help people feel better. Mm-hmm. But depression can show up in any ways. And, and what you're saying is actually a really relevant question. How do I know if I'm just tired? Like not everybody's depressed clearly, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we are just tired. We are unmotivated. But if you look back and you're always asking yourself this question, or you're very often asking yourself, why am I so exhausted? Why do I feel so heavy? Or why, why can't I, you know, why am I always so overwhelmed? That can be a sign of depression too. Mm-hmm. If you, if you look back and much of the time you are asking yourself that, that that's different than having a slump of a week or a few days, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's different. That can be a pattern. That can be something more global going on in your in your energy field or your system. Mm-hmm. And so I think we we if we're always tired or always heavier, always kind of sad or blah or feel like we're dragging ourselves through, it's a good question to ask, is this really something bigger? Mm-hmm. And maybe that's depression. Maybe it's more, I feel like chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, those types of things are often, very, very often linked in with this depressive the energy, but it's always a good idea to ask ourselves to not just sort of, we don't want to give every time, every symptom weight. I talk about that all the time. Mm. But we also don't want to minimize everything so that one day we realize we never feel good and are kind of talking it all away either. There's somewhere in between. I'm glad that you brought up at the beginning there that we're talking more about mental health in the world today. And it's something that was not really talked about at all back in the day. And you also mentioned in your book that you grew up with a dad with immense depression and were in a family where you were navigating those highs and those lows. And I'd love for you to reflect a little bit on how not only mental health conversations have shifted over time, but also what it was like for you to have a father with depression and how that may have impacted you as well. Yeah. So my dad was actually a therapist. So within our house, we talked mm. about mental health and, and I'm sure that his own experience with depression did have in part to do with all that he carried for other people. And my listeners are mostly empathic, highly sensitive human beings who, whether they're in the world of coaching or therapy or not, they still really get that it's so easy to pick up on everyone's stuff. It's so easy. And I found actually, you know, over the years, there's sort of two parts to it for me personally, and I don't know how this will resonate with you or your audience, but um, for me, the more work I have done on myself to not sort of quote unquote match up with other people's stuff, the less sensitive I've become for sure. Mm -hmm. Like the more work I've done to relate not to relate, but to really resonate deeply at a cellular level with other people's traumas, absolutely the more the more energetically independent I've become. Mm-hmm. But then also, hugely empathic or not, when we are talking about and feeling and being in the energy of other people, especially when they're going through things all the time, there's a reality to that, that too. You'll ask anybody who, who wouldn't even consider themselves empathic, and it's, it's a lot. It's just a lot, right? That yeah. con- deep connection when you're talking about and feeling those things. So I do think that that really affected my dad. And, and in those days, I mean, there wasn't talk, there were, there weren't great leaders like you out there talking about what happens and how to sort of address that empathic nature. So that wasn't, that wasn't talked about either. Mm -hmm. Mental health wasn't talked about in the same. And my dad used to see, I mean, you know, that was, those were the days where people, and I don't know how, how you specifically work, but see, eight or 10 patients a day. Like that is, you know, and and when I first started seeing 
you know, clients one-on-one, I would say about 15 a week. And now knowing what I know, I would never do more than probably five one-on-one. So I don't even do one-on-one sessions anymore for this reason, but, mm-hmm. but I, I do feel like over the years it can be cumulative and we don't realize, although everyone's so lucky to have you because now we do realize what's happening, but a lot of times people don't realize and it catches up to you. There's just that reality of no matter how, how much you're doing, you still need to be mindful, even though you have all the exercises and all the tools, you still need to be mindful about how much you're swimming in other people's energy every day. I think. Yeah. I totally agree and think that if we can become aware of and we notice how much we're sponging up everyone else's story, trauma, sadness, that we can start to at least separate that from what I'm actually feeling versus feeling like what they're going through is either mine to fix, mine to carry, mine to sit in, so on and so forth. So yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And it's so different for everybody. I mean, I know people who see, you know, multiple clients a day. It doesn't it doesn't seem to affect them how it would affect me. So everybody's so different as well that we, That's have to true. Pay, that we have to pay attention to that. But I definitely think that in my house, mental health was something we talked about. It wasn't like a hidden thing or anything. But outside, I didn't, most of my friends didn't know what was going on. My teachers, <laughs> I wouldn't have told. Like, so also we, we, we do that and empaths do that too, is we go like at, even at some subconscious level, I'll carry it all. I can do it all, right? Mm-hmm. And empaths are actually usually really like the right, rock in everybody's life and really good at helping everybody else and caring it all. Mm-hmm. But what I've learned is that doesn't mean we have to. Like I am so much better than most people in my life that I know about dealing with a crisis. But wait, that doesn't mean I have to be the one to carry the crisis. Just because I'm totally. good at it doesn't mean I have to do it, right? Which is such a like, I remember that light bulb moment. So, you know, I think obviously as I was growing up, I didn't realize so much of how everything was impacting me until I got a little bit older and then had to deal with like sort of the lifetime of carrying all that or living in all that. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, that's my my childhood and all the struggles of it also has helped me immensely in my work as well. And understanding, especially working with teenagers and young adults, how that affects people. Quick story time for you all. Around Christmas this year, I was starting to work out more and do some of these prenatal workouts with some light weight, with some bands, and honestly just was feeling so proud of my body for all the things that it's doing, all the functions that it's taking on right now. But what I noticed was that my blood pressure actually got really low and I was not hydrating properly. And though I was feeling really strong, there was an opportunity to be able to get and replenish the electrolytes in my body from these prenatal workouts for you guys, whatever type of workout you're doing. And So literally two days after I called my midwife asking, what can I do? I need some more fluids and nutrients in my body. This shipment from Element, it's L-M-N-T, pronounced Element, came in the mail. And I literally thought like, this is the most perfect timing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And they have flavors that I had honestly never heard of before that are so delicious. And so these little packets you just put into your water and it's for anyone who sweats. It's for anyone who does any intermittent fasting, anyone who is looking to curb carb cravings 
or like myself, you are just trying to take care of your body that is doing so many different things and performing so many different functions right now. The thing that I noticed right away and love most about Element electrolytes is that there are no sugars, no added sugars, no artificial ingredients, no coloring, literally just nothing that's unhealthy or unneeded. None of it is an element. They have lots of science and research on their blog that goes into all the reasons why the replenishment of electrolytes in your body is so helpful and so needed. And honestly, I always thought that electrolytes were something that were more appropriate for my husband who works out super hard, but it's also important for everyday health and even the gentle exercises that I'm doing in my pregnancy journey. So you guys better bet I've got a gift for you. As Uncensored Empath podcast listeners, you can receive a free sample pack for just the cost of shipping, which in the U.S. is just $5. Each sample pack has eight packets of the Element Electrolytes. There's two citrus, two raspberry, two orange, and two raw unflavored that you can put into anything. So if you want to try it out, simply go over to our special link. It's drink lmnt.com backslash empath. That's also in the show notes and you can get your free eight pack sampler and then tag me on Instagram. Let me know what you think. We can cheers over (laughs) Instagram. Well, this really opens up another conversation I want to have with you, which is that depression can pop up during moments when we do expect it, like after a loss, after a major stressful event in life. But it can also pop up when you least expect it, and air quotes over here, should be the happiest or people, at least from the exterior looking in, think you should be so happy because all these things are working out for you in life. And But that doesn't exclude the potential for, for depression. Can we talk a little bit about it showing up at any point? Yeah, definitely. A lot of times people will say to me, it just seemed like it, sh- you know, it, it, it just suddenly happened. And I say, no, it probably happened over months or years, but you said it suddenly showed showed up. It suddenly manifested. I mean, I think we could all relate to like when you're working really hard and then you take a vacation and suddenly when you're relaxed, you get a cold. Like sometimes the body doesn't have the capacity to deal with trauma within the midst of trauma because you're in fight, flight, or freeze. You have the adrenaline. So a lot of times once we've come out of the time period where we think we would be more likely to be depressed, that's when the energy can kind of hit us because the body then has the capacity to be aware of it, to Mm -hmm. process to deal with it. So a lot of times we can't actually link how we're feeling in this moment with something that happened in the last hour or the last day. Mm -hmm. I tell my clients, if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling fatigued, then you can look anywhere from now until 18 months ago and probably try to figure out, you know, probably see where the link is. But, you know, it's the same as food allergies. I have people that say, well, I didn't eat anything weird today. And I say, I know, but three days ago, you know what I mean? It could have been. So that's important to look at too. And it's not to be scared if you're going through a hard time. A lot of people go through a really hard time and they come out 
and they do feel better. And then they stay feeling better, right? Because mm-hmm. their body processed it. So it's not something to feel scared about, but things can definitely be delayed. Things can be kind of brewing in the energy system. And then the manifestation of what happened or the feeling, the physical or emotional reaction to that can kind of come to light when you're sort of out of the woods, so to speak. And that that can be typical. And when you're out of the woods, it can kind of feel like, wait, but I'm not having a hard time now. I just got through that hard time. And now I have everything I wanted. Now I do have the job I love. Now I am getting married. Now I am like, so it can, they can kind of show up in a time where mm-hmm. everything's feels like it should be amazing and you should be happy, but you're not. And the reason is it's just sort of a delayed manifestation. Yeah. I mean, so many of my listeners also have experience with autoimmune and chronic illness and understand that there's an analogy there with that. And that those things, those symptoms that popped up one day weren't because of this morning as accumulation over time. And I find that oftentimes the pathway then is this, this mindset of, you know, what can I do to fix this? Maybe if I go to yoga or if I meditate more, if I start going to therapy, if I take more walks outside in nature or I call a friend or see friends. And it's not that those things aren't helpful, but you mentioned in the book that all this doing doesn't necessarily fix the belief or heal, resolve the belief of I don't matter. And that's what I've heard from friends and family members who have struggled with depression is almost overwhelmingly so I don't feel like I matter. And so you in the book write about your three-step approach that really looks at the whole self and the whole body and not just doing the one thing. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So I mean, I think that the self-care we truly require is not the yoga, the meditation, the whatever, and whatever it may be. Although those things are all supportive and amazing. Everybody should keep doing them. But the real calling when we're feeling depressed in any capacity, if you're anywhere on that spectrum, is to be attentive to your own life, to go deeper than the yoga, the meditation, to actually change your inner landscape, to change your emotional terrain, to change the things that aren't working in your life. And this is my first book book that I really talk about in addition to healing trauma, releasing stress, dealing with your emotions, we have to take action. And the action that's necessary is changing the things you can and are able to change in your life that aren't working for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very, very important because I think those of us that are spiritual can sometimes lean more toward the universe has my back, which is totally, which I totally believe it does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you know, say intention prayers for what I want and I can do yoga and I can meditate and I can do all these things and then just kind of let it go. But then what happens often, and I have been guilty of this myself, so I can speak to it personally, is that we become inactive participants in our own life because we're always trusting the universe. We're always waiting for a sign. We're always, you know, leaving everything to fate. And I think there is some portion of surrender that can be really healthy, but also sometimes the thing to do, if you are able, is to leave the toxic relationship, is to think about making a career change because we are driven by action in our lives. Mm -hmm. We are driven by deciding for ourselves what feels good. And a lot of what depression is, is the belief that I don't matter. And we end up making decisions driven by that belief that we don't matter. We don't 
listen to our hearts. We don't follow the path that we want to. We can sometimes surrender our free will in a way Mm -hmm. that can cause depression because what happens is we end up last on our list. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing that says, I don't matter more to the body or the heart and soul than ending up last on our list. So while yoga and meditation and even the energy therapy techniques that I use are tools, we have to really change at a core level. We have to do things differently. We have to feel things differently instead of going to the hour yoga class and then calling it, you know, calling it a day. Yeah. I resonate with that as well, because especially before I lost both my brothers, first Jordan, I was very much guilty of the band-aid fixes where I was going to yoga and I was meditating and I was really fucking frustrated because I thought, why am I not happy? I'm doing the things. And it's not that they weren't supportive because they were, and I still do those things. They're part of my practice, but I wasn't changing the core belief and the core programming underneath that and that feeling like like I wasn't worthy or wasn't good enough uh, in this world. And once I started, once I experienced actually the death of my brother, that was the light bulb moment for me. And it's unfortunate like that had to be the moment, but in many ways, I'm grateful for that being that moment where I realized that I was just putting the bandaid on and I wasn't looking at the root. And there's a quote that I pulled from your book. It says, depression is not all in our head. It's not all in our body either. Depression happens in the whole self. As I see it, depression is not the problem. It's a side effect of itself. I'd love for you to expand more on getting to the root and seeing depression as part of the side effect of what might be deeper going on in somebody's life. Yeah. So I see depression as the literal depression of self, the suppression (laughs) of who you really are. And that that's something different to everybody. You know, that will mean something different to everybody. But I think that the core of what we need to look at is how are we depressed as a spirit? How are we depressed as, how are we suppressed? And sometimes the things that depress us or suppress us are, you know, our beliefs, like I don't matter, I'm not good enough, all of these things. Sometimes it's trauma that literally like weighs on our spirit that we need to let go of to let ourselves sort of rise. Sometimes it's something in our lives that we aren't able to make a decision about. Living in limbo is one of the worst things. And again, I want to be really sensitive to, we all, have our financial and socioeconomic and all of those sort of limitations. So I'm not telling anybody that to be happy or to make peace in your life, you need to throw your life up and, you know, move across the country or get a divorce right now or, you know, none of that. But but we do we need we do need to be responsible for doing what is within our power to change the things we we know we need to change. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we can do the deeper work, like releasing trauma and shifting beliefs to help us get to a better place in order to be able to make those decisions or to be able to make peace when we can't make a decision, mm-hmm. when we aren't able to leave a job or a relationship. But I think all of it needs to be looked at. And if you just ask yourself, if you are feeling depressed today, heavy, heavy energy, if you feel like something is suppressing you, ask yourself what that may be. Are you carrying your past? Are you buried by the life that has been for the last year? Are you feeling suppressed or depressed because you're in a relationship that doesn't allow you to be who you are? I think there are different routes to depression for everybody, but I think that sort of global question of what is depressing me, what is pushing me down Mm -hmm. um, is a good one to ask because most people know somewhere inside what it is. This is so interesting because I think part of the path to 
feel better is dealing with our feelings and building the emotional intelligence to under, to, just to understand how we're feeling and be able to put words to that. Yet I'm thinking of a specific family member where I've asked like, how are you? How are you doing? And her answer is often, I just don't know. Yeah. I don't even know how I feel right now. And I'm curious especially as like a friend and family member perspective as well, not just the person who's going through it. How do we start to crack that open so that there is an understanding or, or maybe a, a safe enough environment to feel so that you can deal with the feelings? Yeah. So the, when somebody tells me they don't know how they feel, what I hear is that they're overwhelmed. They're totally overwhelmed by their feelings. So they probably feel them all at once or they haven't been in touch with their feelings, so they don't know which one they're feeling or which ones they're feeling. Mm -hmm. But the, I don't know if anybody tells you. I, even when you would say, "What can I do to help?" I don't know. That's such an that's such an over that's such a sign of somebody being overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So what you can do as as you know a family member or friend is start really small, and you can ask somebody. I mean, this is an approach that I take with people. You know, if you had to pick one thing, do you think you would resonate with feeling? And there are three emotions that I that I've experienced typically go along with depression, which is anger, grief, and fear. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can ask, do you think you feel angry? Some, you know, do you think there's something that you feel angry about? Are you scared? You know, if you name it for people, they can usually feel in their body, which one is true for them. That's but if you, yeah. yeah, if you ask them an open-ended question and you get something like, I don't know, that person is saying to you, I'm over, I'm too overwhelmed to figure it out. I'm too overwhelmed to understand. I'm too overwhelmed to identify it. Mm -hmm. So I try to go specific and this is exactly, I used to many lifetimes ago, Ago, I was a nanny mm -hmm. um, and primarily for really little kids, like from right when they were born, I would, I would start and then up until a few years old. But it's like you ask a kid, what do they want for breakfast? They don't know. But if you ask them if they want cereal or whatever, then they know it's the same thing, right? Like, you know, I used to sort of be a toddler whisperer and it's the same thing with toddlers. <laughs> like they don't want to wear anything. They will like destroy their whole closet because they don't like anything. But if you're like, do you want the red shirt or the blue shirt? Suddenly they know which one they want out of those two, but they don't know out of an entire closet. So it's the same thing with our emotions when we're overwhelmed. We don't know when we're overwhelmed, but but if we can bring it down to just a few choices, we can usually um, we can usually identify how we feel, and so that's what I recommend. Or if you ask somebody, "How can I help you?" and they don't know, you can say, "Would it be helpful if I brought you dinner tonight?" or "Would it be helpful if I made a couple of phone calls for you?" Yeah. Even releasing that small amount of overwhelm when somebody feels depressed is huge. Take something off their plate if you want to help. Mm, that's such good advice. And it is so much easier to answer a multiple choice question like that than feel like you have to find the answer or tap into the emotion to figure out what the answer is if that's not comfortable. And that really just brings me back to having a safe space in which to feel and which to heal. And it goes back to the point where you're saying, you know, sometimes it does take action and that, you know, you to the extent possible, like leave the relationship, leave the toxic job, whatever it is that's creating the trauma. And you talk about the freak out response in your book as well. And 
I just think that that's so important and maybe something that is not always highlighted in the healing process is that we have to downregulate our nervous systems enough to be able to access deeper states of consciousness into our emotional plane and our emotional body. If we're in this like toxic traumatizing environment in that moment, to me, it seems like accessing the healing would be almost impossible, if not just extra, extra challenging. Yes. And the the entire first section of the book is actually dedicated to working on this aspect, because this is part of why I think so many treatments and approaches to depression fail. And actually true for, you know, experiencing ongoing illness or anxiety, whatever it is, is because in order to heal, you have to come out of fight, flight, or freeze mode, which I call freak out mode Mm -hmm. to some extent. So if you decide you're just going to jump into trauma therapy and you don't do any work on the nervous system, or if you decide you're going to take medication and don't do any work on your nervous system, or if you decide X, Y, or Z, all of those are good choices. But if you do them without the piece of calming and balancing the nervous system, it is going to be a huge uphill climb because if you can get, and when you can get the nervous system to chill out a little bit, you are so much more in healing and receptive mode than you would ever be doing any kind of therapy or medication. So I always want people, whatever your choice of treatment and therapy is, is great, but you need to also incorporate the piece of working with the nervous system and releasing the emotional stress from the nervous system that helps it come into a place where it's helping you heal, not blocking you from healing. I couldn't agree more. And I I do feel like if we bypass that first really integral step that then there can be frustration and that like, I'm, I feel like I'm doing it and I'm in the trauma therapy, let's say, but there was no emphasis on downregulating the nervous system, creating safety. Like, well, why am I not feeling better? Well, I'm going to all these sessions. I'm not feeling better. Like nothing's changing. And feeling really discouraged for for understandable reasons. And that brings me to the next question, which is, yes, let's emphasize the sense of safety and downregulating, getting out of fight, flight, freeze. But also, how do we start to measure progress in something that, that we feel so internally? Like, how do we start to notice that we are doing better, feeling better, making progress? It's just like you were talking about the depression didn't doesn't necessarily pop up because of something that happened this morning. It was from six months ago, for example. And when we start to do the healing, then we want to see the thing we did this morning, the results by later today, of course, but that can be challenging to measure and also to start to really notice that like, hey, things are shifting. I am feeling better. Do you have any thoughts on that, Amy? Yeah, definitely. And I have been there where it's like, I'm doing all this stuff. I just want to see a result. I think along the way, I didn't miss some um, some subtle signs of improvement because what I wanted was to be healed. What I wanted was to feel better. What I wanted was for my nerve pain to suddenly not be there. And those things do not happen overnight. I mean, I have... I've seen, you know, situations where I always say that I'm like jealous of some of my clients because, or envious, I should say, um, they're like one session, you know, wonders where we did something and it's like, oh my gosh, I feel better. And that does happen. But typically what we're doing when we're doing the emotional work or the energy work is we're releasing the burden from the system so that the immune system and nervous system and, you know, all of the systems in our body can then function 
function properly. And once they start to function properly, the body can be healed. So with depression, it's similar in, in where we're releasing the emotional stress so that the nervous system can, can regulate itself, can become balanced, and can, can help us to feel better. And, and our brain chemicals and hormones can start to balance. But it's like when you have a sunburn and you put on salve or what, you know, aloe or whatever, and you, you look five minutes later, you still have a sunburn. Like that isn't going to go away, but you've put on that healing remedy that's then slowly going to help the burn go away. That's what you're doing when you're doing the inner work. Mm-hmm. You, are, you are offering the supportive remedy to help heal at a deep level, to help heal the wound, but it doesn't mean the wound has gone right away. Mm-hmm. What I, what I tell people to do is don't look from feeling, don't look to go from feeling like shit to, oh my gosh, I feel so happy. Look for subtle signs like, oh, like even though I still don't want to do anything, I'm actually thinking about what I might want to do. Like maybe mm-hmm. you can't get out of bed, but you're thinking about getting out of bed. That could be an improvement from the few yeah. days before. Um, you know, or you feel one of the big ones is you just feel a little more hopeful. Like you even feel like, oh, this might work. Mm-hmm. Or oh, maybe I feel like one percent less shitty than I did yesterday. Like that is a shift. Mm-hmm. You're probably not gonna go from feeling terrible to feeling totally relieved, but just a little bit of relief, a little bit of feeling less bad is kind of what we're looking for. Yeah. Having a tiny bit more energy. Um, I tell people like maybe you don't have the energy to like take a shower even because you feel so down and horrible, but you want to, you know, put fresh pajamas on like those types of things, even, even having the impetus to do those tiny types of things, or, you know, maybe you usually only have the energy to walk around the block and now you, you know, walk two blocks. Like maybe you're feeling like while you're out, you weren't, you know, checking the clock as much for, you know, how long of, you know, with a lot of times when people start to exercise to feel better, they're like watching the clock, like, okay, I've been out for five minutes. That's all I needed to do. But maybe you're feeling a little more relaxed in, in those types of ways, which actually are showing that there's, there's a healing going on. Mm -hmm. There's a shift. There's an energetic shift. Yeah. I think we can sense or desire this, force this forcing myself to change. And also I I literally just got this question from a a client who has a friend who's struggling with depression this past week. And her question was, you know, how do we support our loved ones? And coming from my personal experience, life experience with having two brothers who experienced and and really struggled with the depression to the point that it took their lives and wanting to force, like wanting to come in and like be the fixer and the savior and like see them happy and smiling again. But why does forcing, whether you're the person who's experiencing depression or you're the loved one, why does forcing this change not work? Yeah, I wish it did. But I think we've all learned at, at some point in our lives that forcing doesn't work. And the reason is because it puts you more into fight, flight, or freeze. It will cause people to freeze more than they already are. Yeah. So it causes a resistance. So when we force ourselves, you know, there's a difference though. Like I feel like it makes a huge difference to shift some energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always say, you know, if you can like change route, like if you are typically like sitting in a dark, 
den all day or your bedroom when you don't feel good, like try to go into, do try to force yourself to go into like the living room where maybe there's more windows. Like those type of things are okay because that I see as a shift in energy, but forcing someone to, you know, drag them out on a long walk or try to forcing them into therapy or whatever, whatever Mm -hmm. us loving people try to force people to do when, when we are feeling uncomfortable with not being able to help is, um, typically makes it worse because you are, you are creating a a further resistance than they already have within them. Mm-hmm. And it is better to gently plant a seed and help them shift their energy, help them if there's a way to try to make them laugh, or if you, you know, if you, if you can shift the energy in a room, or if you can ask them if you can help them. There's lots of techniques in my book that you could do on somebody else if you wanted really gently, like tapping a certain place or reading something to them. Those are ways in which you can shift them with, help them shift without causing any resistance and without forcing. Yeah. And typically even really depressed people, if you say, can I tap this point, you know, on the side of your head? Or would it be okay if I read something to you? You don't have to participate. You know, typically if it's a non-participatory thing, Mm -hmm. somebody will agree. And of course, then we come to, you know, everybody has to help themselves in a way. So you can't do everything for somebody. You can't go through the entire book for somebody, but there are certainly things we can do to help somebody get out of fight, flight, or freeze enough that they may be able to help themselves. Yeah. Well, that's, I love the pieces of of advice that you just offered because sometimes I notice even in my own journey with having loved ones with depression, I would swing to one side or the other of a spectrum where it was like, I'd put on the fixer hat and I would jump in and be like, all right, something needs to freaking change. Like, here I am, let's do it. And it was more forceful. And on the other side of the spectrum, it was like, I can't do anything. Therefore I'm going to do nothing, but I'm not going to feel good doing nothing because I'm actually terrified and so worried about this person who I love so much. And I think what you just offered us is a little bit of a middle ground where we can help shift or change the energy. We can plant the seeds. We can do some things where there it's not, uh, not as much participation is required on their end. Even just those multiple choice questions. I remember being in the car one time with my brother, Joe, and he was going through a really, really hard time. And my now husband and I just went and picked him up and he got in the back seat and we went for a long drive. And at the end, we kind of gave him like three options. And we're like, Hey, we know you're struggling. Like what feels most supportive to you? This, this, or this. Yeah. And he was able to make a decision. He chose one of those things. And I remember just feeling like, oh my God, like such relief that he chose the thing, but also that I felt like I could help in some way without having to come in and be like, this is what you're doing and I'm forcing you to do this. So finding that middle ground, I think there's an art to it. And also it it allows us to not feel like totally helpless and at the same time not have to, it's not our responsibility to fix people or, or heal people. So absolutely, which is hard, which is a hard thing to swallow sometimes, but I sort of, I sort of think of like humans, you know, we're each on our own journey and we're a little bit like puppies in a way that if you try to chase a, if if a puppy runs away from you and you go after them, the first thing they do is run further away. Mm -hmm. And humans tend to do that too. So it's sort of like, if you want to if you want to help and bring somebody into your embrace to try to help them, you you need to sort of just stand in your own power and your own supportive energy and offer offer to provide the help if they come to you. 
And that's really the best way to do it because if you force or chase, they're going to get further away from you. And that happens, that happens with anything. We try to over help, right? Yeah. Where somebody has an ongoing illness and we have 4,000 suggestions for them. Does that usually work? No. I mean, it's the same thing for depression, anxiety, and, yeah. and all of those challenges. Mm. Thank you so much, Amy. I really appreciate it. I want to just offer up the table one more time to see if there's anything you feel like we skipped over, didn't touch on today that's important in this conversation. And I'd also love for you to let the listeners know about where to find the book and and some um, bonuses you have coming up for them. Sure. And thank you so much. It's always so much fun to be here. And it's so, you are so easy to talk to. I do a lot of podcasts and, and radio shows and it just, it's always such a fun, fun time and it flies by with you, which is a, a compliment. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, of course. So there's nothing really, I think we covered, you know, everything. I think I love how this conversation naturally unfolded. And I think the only other thing I would want people to know is like just baby steps. It doesn't matter how you feel, but my work and my philosophy and my book, especially how to heal yourself from depression when no one else can even above and beyond the others are all about taking, making what I call micro movements, which is tiny little movements. Because when you are able to feel a little bit better or get a little bit of relief, it's easier to feel a little bit better and to get a little bit of relief and to help yourself a little bit more. So I just want to tell anybody out there who is struggling with anything, really getting to the next step, moving one more inch will get you to the next inch and the next inch. And it actually is more effective and efficient than trying to go jump from point A to point B and point C. Like if you're trying to leap too far, it usually backfires. So feel good about the tiny movements that you make, the micro movements that you make every day or every week. Um, And anybody can find out about me on my website. Amy B. Share, S-C-H-E-R.com. My YouTube channel has tons of um, like little mini energy therapy sessions to release some of this stress and energy we've been talking about today to help you make those micro movements. And if you are so inclined to grab a copy of the book and you do so before March 1st, I am doing a free 90-minute group deep healing session where we'll be going through some of the techniques and deep healing sessions um, linked to releasing depressive energy to help you reconnect to your joy. Mm-hmm. And you can find that on my website, but I always do some fun, fun thing linked to the book release to, I like the idea of us all starting off together on the journey. And so that's my way of like, kind of once everybody has the book, it comes out February 23rd, but you can order it anytime. And then once I've given people a week or two to get the book, we all sort of start off together. And it's just a nice way to, to create that community and seal in that superpower of, mm. of, start of of healing in a tribe. I love that. That's so powerful. And I think more than ever, we need that space for connection and community. So thank you so much for for providing that. And I know that that deep healing, both in that session and also what I've been able to see and experience inside, not just this book, honestly, all of your books that I've been reading for a while, (laughs) it's just all so powerful and it's accessible too. I think you lay it out in such clear, concise detail that allows people to, I mean, as it says in, in the titles of your book when no one else can, meaning, you know, you get to do it. You get to be your own greatest healer. And I think that's so powerful. So thank you again for being on the show, for participating in this conversation and sharing all of your magic today, Amy. Thank you. Thanks so much, Sarah. I want to tell you about a podcast that I have been loving. It is hosted by McLean McGown and it is called Mother the Mother Podcast. 
McLean has some amazing real talk solo episodes that have really just been speaking to my soul as somebody who is expecting. You guys, my due date is May 14th, 2021. And honestly, I am just in an information gathering state. And it's so helpful to hear stories and experiences from other mothers. McLean had a recent episode in January called We Can Do Better Than Healthy Baby, Healthy Mama. And that one really spoke to my soul. She holds this online space for women to gather energetically, sister to sister and mother to mother, to focus on the powers of motherhood and real life advice and experiences of pregnancy, birth, and the postpartum shift, which is a crucial time for new mothers to heal, not just physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. And this is a major transition that I'm about to go through in my life that is often regarded as negative or challenging in the way that our current society portrays it. And so it's so nice to have women, mothers like McLean, who are willing to have these real conversations. You can find her over on Apple Podcasts. It again is called Mother the Mother Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Uncensored Empath Podcast. I would so appreciate if you could take a couple minutes to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you've loved this episode, please share it on social media, tag me, let your friends know about it, and I will see you on the next episode.